Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. RUF is a Christian ministry on campus that, and we are very serious about uh, the Bible and the fact that the Bible is uh, God's gift to us uh, so that we might know him, so that we might know uh, why we're here, what life is about, and what God has done uh, to pour out his love and save us and give us life. And so we look at the Bible every week in RUF, and if you're here and you're new tonight, you came on a we don't talk about sex very often, but we happen to be talking about sex at RUF tonight because we're going through a series this semester called All of Life Belongs to God. And the goal of the series is just to address like the topics in life that we all uh, think about a lot, talk about a lot, that are central to just like life in college, life in general, and uh, see what the Bible says about them. So a lot of times in, in a semester we'll go through uh, section of the Bible, but this time around, we're going to uh, go through, would you, Em, are you doing this? Would you go back to a blank one? I don't want to spoil that. Thanks. Um, it's racy. Um, but uh, yeah, this semester we're, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about relationships and we first talked about how we were made for love, we were made for relationships, and last week we talked about the challenge of relationships, uh, how relationships require vulnerability, and uh, we all fear vulnerability, and we all carry shame into relationships, and we talked about how Jesus deals with our shame, and uh, because sex has to do with relationships, and it's something that uh, we talk about a lot in life, uh, I wanted to take a week to just... Uh, see what the Bible, some of what the Bible says about sex. And one of the reasons is because it's talked about a lot everywhere, uh, pretty much, and talked very little about in the church. I don't know how many of you grew up going to church, uh, but if you did, I bet it was really rare to hear any kind of teaching about sex uh, in church. And I bet uh, for most of us, sex was something that was weird to talk about with our parents. So many of us kind of come into adulthood without hearing a definitive word about sex, especially from church sources, uh, from the Bible. And one of the reasons that's really dangerous is because the way we think about sex can easily be formed instead by our culture, what we hear in our culture around us. And the hard thing about that is that it's a very confusing message because the, our culture says two things about sex. It says, first of all, sex is no big deal. You know, just sex. And it also, at the same time, seems to say sex is everything. Like... It's all we hear about. It's, it's the focus of so much of life. And so that's a conflicting message, right? Sex is no big deal. Sex is everything. Uh, you know, sex is no big deal, right? Uh, as evidenced by hookup culture in college, where uh, it's certainly common uh, to have sex with a stranger. Or, you know, some people set their limit of, you know, sex is for the third date or something like that. 
Um, recently, Aziz Ansari was in the news. You know, the comedian Aziz Ansari. And uh, basically, someone that he had slept with on the first date kind of came out and said, this is what he did. It was awful. I wasn't comfortable with it. And then the res- she, got, she got a lot of backlash because a lot of the people that read the story said, you know, what did you think? He invited you up to his apartment. Like, that's what happens when someone says, do you want to come up to my apartment? You should have known. And uh, again, kind of shows us in our culture, sex is not a big deal. So much so that the idea of chastity is often mocked. Uh, My favorite TV show of all time, I think, is called Arrested Development. Any Arrested Development fans? It's on Netflix. You guys should all watch it. It's hilarious. But uh, one of the characters is essentially totally formed around the idea of mocking her for her chastity, for uh, uh, being a Christian who doesn't have sex uh, until marriage. And so um, sex is no big deal. But at the same time, we hear that sex is everything. Like we always hear people say sex sells, and we know that to be true. Media is dominated by sex. Uh, Sex is portrayed as a powerful force. Uh, that it would be dishonest to resist. You know, it's just this force that you succumb to. And uh, this was uh, kind of crystallized for me on one of our RUF uh, summer conference road trips. Every year in May, we drive to Florida in vans, and it's awesome. And because we spend like 23 hours in vans, everyone uh, takes turns like playing music from their phone on the van speakers. And I remember several years back, someone had put on the Katy Perry Pandora station and I'm driving I'm like the old dude driving it's like what is this music you know kids music and and I was stunned to hear that like five songs in a row essentially had the same theme which was like if I don't have sex tonight I will die like, um, and so uh, sex is no big deal sex is everything which is it and a problem that we face and when we want to think about this as Christians or as the church is that the church has done a pretty bad job historically of dealing with sex and a lot of the message is uh, just say no or sex is bad, sex is dirty. Uh, When someone says, can I tell you a dirty joke? We all associate that with sex, which is weird, right? Um, Because in the Bible, sex is not dirty, but... uh, There's an idea kind of in Christian, moral, American culture that kind of gives off these ideas like sex is bad, sex is dirty, or, you know, just wait, just wait without saying why. Why am I waiting? Or why am I resisting uh, the urges that seem natural? And so in response to that, I want us to think about sex from a biblical perspective. And I want to just ask the basic question from the Bible, what is sex? And I want to acknowledge off the bat that we could say a lot more about this than I'm going to say tonight. And this could be part of an ongoing conversation that I have with you individually or that maybe we could get like a discussion group together and talk more about. Uh, But what I want to share with you tonight is that from uh, the biblical perspective, uh, sex is good and sex is marital. Uh, So the first thing is that sex is good. In the Bible, sex is good. And I just want to acknowledge off the bat that that might be hard for some of us to hear if we've been on the wrong end of the misuse of sex. And if that's your story, I just want to say I'm sorry. That's the kind of thing that angers God, that angers me, and it's not the way it's supposed to be. 
But part of what I want to talk about tonight is that when people stray away from God's design for sex, it often ends in disaster and people get hurt. But at the same time, sometimes healing begins as we understand sex as God intended it to be. And so uh, in the Bible, sex is good. And I want to look at our first passage now. There we go. Uh, This is from Song of Songs. Song of Songs is a book of the Bible. It's a love poem, and it's a celebration of sexual intimacy. And it is racy. And uh, if you have never read it before, you might be like, this is in the Bible. Uh, This is insane. Uh, But we're going to read, this is from chapter 7. You should go back and read the whole book sometime if you're interested. Um, So let me read for us. It's uh, he and she, so it's a man and a woman kind of responding to each other. Uh, Listen to what they say. He says, how beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathramim. Rabim, your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like the clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. And then the woman responds, and she says, It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh, my beloved. Okay. Did you guys know that that's in the Bible? Like, that is racy, right? Uh, this is a love poem, and if you were paying attention, then you noticed that not only is it a love poem, but it's quite explicit. Uh, there is clear and graphic depicting of a couple engaged in sex. Um, And there's lots of explicit sexual imagery. For instance, uh, the word navel is used, and it's not a navel. Like, it's a euphemism for a female body part. And uh, there are all these fruits, like pomegranate. Have you seen a pomegranate, and do you know what it looks like? It's a big, round fruit with a nipple-like protrusion on it. Um, And there's all this fruit imagery, if you read through the whole book. And... Uh, there's man, the mention of mandrakes, which was, this, uh, was thought to be an aphrodisiac. And so uh, a lot of sexual stuff going on in here. And I hope you notice that there's no sense of this is wrong, this is dirty, but rather, like, isn't this great? It's, you know, the, the imagery in the whole book of Song of Songs is beautiful, and it's depicting sex as something very pleasurable and then there's this beautiful display of intimacy where the couple is naked together they're seeing all of each other and both the man and the woman seem to be enjoying it 
uh, they're desiring each other, right? Uh, contrary to the notion that it's like, oh, men are the ones that are really interested in sex and women are the ones that are more interested in, I don't know, you know, like, this is saying, like, it's like if you're a man or a woman that's interested in sex, uh, that is because, like, God made you that way uh, for connection, that kind of connection. And uh, the Bible's not ashamed of sex. God doesn't blush about sex. The Bible celebrates it. And it's expected that we would read this book and respond by saying something like, wow, that sounds really great. Do you see how far of a cry that is from just say no? Okay? Or blushing when we talk about sex. You know, I'm a Christian, so I don't talk about sex. You see how different those ideas are. Um, So contrary to our culture which says that sex is no big deal, the Bible actually says sex is a big deal. It's wonderful. It's not just this mechanical thing that happens between two people. It matters who you do it with. And that's where we get in. So sex is good. But the second idea I want to convey tonight is that sex is not only good, but sex is marital. And when I say that sex is marital, I know some of you may be thinking like, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. Like sex, people in my church when I was a kid told me that sex was something that was supposed to be for marriage. Uh, But when I say that sex is marital, I don't exactly mean that. I mean that sex is meant to be binding. It's meant to bind people together. And uh, to understand that, I want to go, we have one more passage to look at, just a short one. Uh, Genesis 2. This is the account in the Garden of Eden of when God creates uh, Adam and Eve and he presents Eve to Adam. And this is what uh, Adam says when God presents his, uh, this woman, Eve, to him. He says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Uh, This is an account of the first marriage. You know, it gives us an idea of what marriage is. And the reason we know that is because all through here is the language of covenant. Uh, You know, uh, you will leave your father and you will hold fast. That's the language, like in ancient times, people made covenants with each other and uh, they're all, like we found them, ancient covenants that are written out and they all contain this language. This Uh, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Leave, I'm going to leave this person, I'm going to hold fast to this person. And what it's saying, what a covenant was saying, and what this is saying, is that this is the closest relationship you can enter into with someone you're not related to. And often, when you entered into a covenant with someone, from that point on, you would regard that person as related to you. Um, You would regard them as your own flesh and blood. And this is not... Like one, when it says one flesh, it's not talking about sex directly, although it's implied. But it's talking about what it means to be married. Marriage is the closest human relationship that is. And what it means to be married and to be one flesh is that when you enter into marriage, you're supposed to say, from now on, everything I do has this person in mind. When I wake up, my goal is to think, you know, what would be good for them? That's what it means to be one flesh. But sex is implied here. 
know, one flesh. You know, there's, there's an image there that's clearly sexual as well. And what the big idea of this is, is that what sex is then is reiterating with our bodies symbolically the covenant commitment that we've made to each other already. Uh, sex is meant to be a ritual whereby our marriage vows to each other are renewed, which is part of why it can be so good. Because not only is sex pleasurable in a physical way, but it's this reminder that this person has committed themselves to me. They've given themselves to me. In marriage, we say, you can have all of me. In marriage, two people become one. It's the closest human relationship that exists. But if you take sex out of that context, that context of we've made vows to each other, this is a lifelong relationship, that's when it begins to become dangerous, confusing, hurtful. And it can actually be something that becomes very anti-sex, actually. Because sex was never supposed to take place outside of the security of a covenant. And that's why something like pornography is really the most anti-sex thing that there is. Or hooking up on the first meeting is one of the most anti-sex things that exists because that's all taking. It's take, take, take. It's make me feel good. Quick, make me feel good. It's using someone to get the physical pleasure of sex without giving anything of myself to that person. And that's why one of the most painful things you can endure in life is ending a relationship that was sexual, right? And that's, sometimes people get stuck in bad relationships because it's too hard to leave the relationship because of the sexual bond that already exists. That's why marriages aren't supposed to end. That's why divorce is so painful and so awful is because of this design that God had for sex and marriage. Uh, Think about the best meal you've ever had. For me, that would be like a big steak with like uh, crab meat and Bernays sauce on top of it or something like that. And, uh, you know, so picture, you know, the best meal you've ever had And I want you to picture sprinkling some rat poison on it. Is it still a delicious meal at that point? No, it's a death trap. It looks the same, it probably feels the same going down, uh, but it it goes from being a delicious meal to something very dangerous just by making a minor change to it. And that's, you know, we can make, there's a lot of ways that we can distort sex from what it was meant to be to make it very dangerous, to make it very hurtful, uh, to make it very confusing. So I want to close by thinking about how we can, how then could we live out a biblical sexuality? Okay, I just want to acknowledge, like, there's, there are more unmarried adults in America than ever before. Uh, the trend is that people get married later and later. You know, it's one thing, you know, like a lot of times people say like, well, people back then got married when they were like 14. So it was a lot easier, right? Uh, now people get married later and later. And a lot of people are uh, not likely to marry at all. If you're a young person today, there's a chance, a high chance that you may spend a significant portion of your adult life unmarried. And so how could, is this realistic? How could we live it out? 
And I want to suggest that there's two ways that we can live it out. The first, first is by knowing the character of God. And as you read through the Bible, is the God of the Bible someone who delights in making people's lives miserable? Is that the way he's depicted? Or is he the one who knows exactly how life was meant to be lived? Uh, a lot of you know that I have two little kids at home now. Margot, who's uh, tomorrow is her half birthday. She's turning three and a half tomorrow. Uh, my son Asher is uh, about to be 11 months old. And so we live in this world where our job as parents is to every day prevent our kids from dying. Right? Because they're at this age where, like, if you look away for one minute, they're, like, shoving a fork down their throat for, like, no, like, explainable reason or, like, trying to, like, kiss an electrical socket or something like that. And so we spend so much of our time being like, don't die, don't die, don't die, stop, stop. And when we pull our kids away from that stuff, they get mad at us. They cry because they want it. Okay? Uh, you need to know that as we relate to God, we're like toddlers. We're like little kids. And that it's the kindness of God to tell us how life was meant to be lived. Uh, God's teaching about sex is like, get away from the electrical socket, please, for your own good. Stop shoving the fork down your throat. That's not going to end well. So... We can live out the biblical sexuality by knowing the character of God, that God's a God who loves, that he knows. But the second way is that we can live it out when we know the story of the Bible. What's the story the Bible tells? And this, is, this gets us back to what we started out talking about, which was that uh, we live in a culture that says sex is no big deal, and, yet, and uh, sex is everything. And the Bible presents something totally different. So sex is, sex is a big deal, and sex is not everything, not even close. And you know what is everything in the Bible? The one that marital love points to. The one who says, come and be mine forever. Even if you've had thousands of lovers, I still want you. Even if you're sexually broken, I want you. I know what you look at on the internet, and I still want you. I know what's been done to you, and I still want you. I know what you have done, and I still want you. The one who says, I'll come and find you. The one who says, I will die to make you mine. I will die to make you beautiful again, even though others may have made you unbeautiful. Who I'm talking about is Jesus who is God, who shows us the character of God, and it's a God who pursues his people even when they wander. It's a God who knows the ins and outs of who we are and doesn't turn away. And the way we know that's true is because when Jesus went to die, what we'll sing about in a minute, the Father turns his face away. That's what Jesus lost to bring us in. And that's how we know that that kind of love is everything. And other things that are great in life uh, that we might want or desire are not everything. They're not, we don't need to live for them. And I just want to suggest in closing that where you encounter Jesus most profoundly is in community. 
You know, it's easy to be like, oh, I'm going to go like in my room and encounter Jesus. And you can do that, but I think where you'll encounter Jesus most powerfully is if, as you share your life with other Christians. As you talk about things like, these are the things that are hard in life. These are the things that are beautiful about life and share those together. Uh, that's a big part of what we want RUF to be. Uh, but let's close and I'll, I'll pray for us and then we'll sing our last song and um, head out. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we uh, come to this topic of sex with all kinds of baggage. Uh, many of us carry guilt about sex into it. Many of us carry confusion about sex into it. Many of us carry fear of sex into it. And uh, we're thankful that you know those things, uh, that you uh, draw us to yourself in spite of those things. Uh, And we pray that you would redeem sexuality in our lives. Uh, We pray that you would give us uh, grace to uh, live out our sexual calling as it's presented in the Bible, uh, that we might be a kind of counterculture uh, on the college campus and in the world. Draw us together in community as we seek to live it out. Uh, Help us to find our everything in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.